Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the Greater Vancouver area. We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. I'm your host, Genevieve Kyle. I'm 42, and I have two sons, Alexandre and Nathan, making me a busy mom of two under two. <laughs> Today we're talking about how to handle your toddler's tricky behaviors. So let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. Hello everyone, my name is Heather Fox and I'm the co-host of Parent Talk. I am 40 years old and I have a son named Hudson who is a year and a half. Hi everyone, I'm Cherry Tam. I'm an early childhood educator, author, sleep consultant and parenting coach. And I specialize in baby, toddler, and preschooler development. What I do is I help parents navigate their young children's tricky and challenging behaviors, things like sleep and tantrums. Well, thank you ladies for being here. What are the core traits and behavior we see in toddlers, Sherry? So with toddlers, we're typically talking about one to three years old where they're really in this stage where they're trying to figure out their world. They're trying to figure out how things work. They're trying to figure out what they can and can't do. They're trying to figure out their bodies and they're trying to be in control of their bodies. They have a lack of impulse control, so they're not able to control their bodies as much as they want to. Um, And then they're in this phase of wanting to assert their will all the time. It's always me, mine, no. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Can you give us some example of tricky behaviors? Yeah, and actually, I think I'm going to ask you two the question because <laughs> you guys both have toddlers. Oh, have yeah. you guys noticed any tricky behaviors that have been coming up? Yeah, for me, the first one that we had kind of that we came something we really had to deal with was when Hudson started to bite, and it was kind of like, oh my goodness, he's biting, and then right away we kind of went to this. We had big reactions and we're like, okay, we can't have big reactions because he was excited by our big reactions and that was obviously not working and the whole no thing didn't work. He just laughed and thought it was hilarious, but he was still visibly frustrated and biting and so it was about about kind of getting to the bottom of why he was biting and so I kind of really kind of was trying to be very, very present with what time it was, what was going on and realized that he was hungry. And so we were able to finally teach him the sign for milk because he couldn't verbalize this because he was too little. So he would finally, you know, was able to show us a sign for milk and then right away. So kind of what we would do is if I kind of saw that fresh is coming on, I would say, oh, do you want milky and show him the sign? And then he started to catch on and then realize he got that milk right away. And then so we've been able to kind of work with that and it's helped tons. There's still moments where I don't catch it and he gets frustrated. And my leg gets bit because <laughs> I'll be standing in the kitchen and he's like <laughs> wanting his milk and I get a little chomp on my leg. <laughs> I'm like, oh, milk. Yeah. But yeah, that's definitely been one. Yeah, <laughs> so that was his way of communicating. Yeah, you, exactly. Right? So it's a way of communicating, but we, yeah, think that sometimes they're misbehaving, but it's, it was, he wasn't misbehaving. He was mm. trying to tell me he needed something, right? Yeah, exactly. Toddlers don't have the language. And so a lot of times their behaviors are the way that they communicate to us that they need something. 
And they often have these big frustrations because they don't have the language to tell us what it is that they need or they want. I think for myself, with Alex, is um, throwing food on the floor is a big one. And we have tried to know, and there's just a pause, and he looks at me, and the food still go on the floor. So no, it doesn't work. So you have to give choices. I'm aware of that. But uh, it's funny to, to see, then you actually understand, and he still smiles, and he still <laughs> does it, right? <laughs> so... I'm sure we'll be talking about that nowhere later later on, right? Yeah. Um, so what about hitting? Mm-hmm. What do you think? That's How another common we, yeah. one that comes up with toddlers because they're frustrated. They want to have something. They want to have it right away. So they're very impatient. Um, they want it right away. So they want to get it however way they can. So typically it will look like them using their bodies to get it with the hitting. Um, that's also where the frustration comes in. And like Heather mentioned, it's about recognizing what those cues are and supporting them with the tools, right? They're misbehaving or they're behaving inappropriately because they don't have the tools for it. So for us, thinking about what we can do to support them with the skills, what can we do to help them? And typically that's around communication. What can we um, support them with in terms of language? So that's where sign language is such a huge help for toddlers because it bridges that gap for them. For toddlers, biting, um, there's two reasons for biting. One, it might be frustration. They're frustrated about something and they want it right away. You're not responding to their communication or attempts at communication. So a big chomp on the leg. Another, maybe because they're teething. So that's also something to keep in mind too, that it may not always be um, a need for attention. It may just be that they're teething and they're really in need of a sensory kind of fix. Mm -hmm. So having something that would be appropriate to bite would be a good option. When we talked about like hitting a second ago and you talk about the frustration, what I noticed with Hudson is he sometimes kind of gets physical with other toddlers, but he doesn't, he's got a big smile on his face. He's not actually wanting anything. He's just getting a little too physical. (laughs) And so it's almost more of an excitement rather than a frustration. So, I mean, I just kind of approach it with, you know, I try to get in there and show him gentle, gentle, but. What else? Any tricks? (laughs) Is there anything else I can be doing? Yeah. It's, It's recognizing too that toddlers are starting to explore the world. They're starting to want to engage with other people. They notice that this world is not just them. There's other people in it. There's another kid around uh, across the you know room and I want to go play with them, but I don't have the social skills to do that. I don't know how to go and engage. So typically it will look like something that's inappropriate where they're snowballing over their friend or they're just bulldozing them over just because they're so excited and they don't know how to handle it. So strategy there would be to give them the tools, give them the skills. How do we say hi to our friend? How can we give gentle hugs? How can we give a high five when we want to, you know, play with them? So thinking of different ways. And that of we course can... it's over and over and over repetition, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do we do with Mr. or Mrs. Independent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another classic trait of toddlerhood is them wanting to do everything on their own. Right? They're trying to figure out who they are. They're wanting to gain self-control. So it's always the me, mine, no, I want to do it. And they don't want you to have any part of it because they want to know what they can do. So it can be pretty frustrating sometimes for us when we're trying to get out the door and get things done and we got to move along. 
However, for them, they do need that patience from us to really recognize they're learning these skills and they're trying to put all the pieces together. Uh, So as much as we can, giving them choice where it would be appropriate. Mm -hmm. And any trick on separation anxiety? Yes, yes, yes. Separation anxiety. So actually, children go through, young children, babies and toddlers, they go through two phases of separation anxiety. The first phase of separation anxiety is the baby stage where you would typically see around nine or 10 months when they start to crawl and they can crawl away. You may have noticed that your little one gets a little bit more clingy to you. As a toddler, and I would typically say around 14 to 19 month range, they go through a second phase of separation anxiety. And the second phase of separation anxiety really happens because they're recognizing that they're an individual person apart from mom apart from my primary caregivers. I am my own individual person. I can do all of these things in the world. I have this huge world to explore and it's a very scary place. And I need to check in with you a lot to make sure I'm safe. So Sherry, let's go back to talk about the no. So which is the one word that triggers young children to uh, test our limits, right? Yes, no is that one word that triggers little ones to test. One, because developmentally, again, they're in that phase of asserting their independence. So when they hear the word no, it's kind of like they're putting on their armor and saying like, hey, you're telling me no, I'm going to show you what I got and I'm going to show you what I can do. So that's one of the reasons why no is ineffective for little ones. Um, The second reason is that it actually doesn't teach them the behavior or skill that you want them to see. So you're communicating that something is inappropriate. However, we're not giving them any choices of what would be appropriate. So thinking back to development, they're just trying to figure out this big world and how everything works. So we tell them no, and they know, okay, I shouldn't do that, but what should I do? What else, right? Yeah. Mm. And chances are they're going to get into something else that's inappropriate. Oh, you don't want me to throw the food? I'm going to, you know, throw my plate instead. Right. Whereas if we can be very specific with them and tell them what we want them to do instead, that gives them a very clear limit of this is what I should be doing with my food. Food should go in my mouth or it should stay on the table. Um, The other interesting thing, too, is that there's a stat that children between zero to four years old, 83 percent of what they hear is some sort of no. 83 percent. 83 percent. From zero to four years old, children are hearing no 83% of the time, which is actually not very, not very encouraging, right? To be growing up in that environment where they're constantly hearing, no, don't do this, stop doing that, not there, don't go there. And that really is defeating and it's frustrating for little ones. So that's interesting. Some form of no, if it's not a no, it's don't. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's not always just no, it's like, don't do this or... Yeah. Yeah. We're, it's still that negative talk. And I guess that can be a trigger as well. Mm-hmm. If, like, even if we're just saying we don't do, we don't hit the cat, we don't hit the cat. That's still negative, negative, negative. It's not no, but it's, we don't hit the cat. We don't, hit, well, what do we do with the cat? Right? Exactly. They have mm-hmm. no other choice and it's, it's not in a positive way for them to learn what's happening. They're learning it with a negative context of what they shouldn't be doing all the time. So if we can flip our language and focus on the positives, they actually have a much more positive environment to grow up in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess let's say if Alex 
one thing that he likes to do, he goes up on his slide and then when he's on top of the slide, he basically stands right up and it's dangerous for him to fall, right? Yeah. Or what he does, he likes to go head first, but I'm worried about him like keep doing this and then he gets older, he goes to the park and he goes head, for, head first on the slide and he's going to smash his teeth at the bottom, right? So I'm trying to teach him to sit. Yep. And so I'm like, we are going on the big slide. This is fun. Let's sit, right? And then keep. I guess that would be a good example. Let's sit and let's keep going all the way down to the bottom. And but it's hard because he wants to stand up. Yeah, yeah. And little ones, toddlers especially, are going to test your limits all the time. They want to know if I do something, am I going to get the same response every time? Especially from you. Yeah. If you tell me on the slide, we have to sit down, are you going to tell me that 50 times every time we go to the park? Or some days you'll let me stand, some days you'll let me sit, some days you'll let me go head first. And when we're inconsistent with our toddlers, that's when a lot of tricky behaviors happen. It's because they're confused. Mm, mm-hmm. We would see this a lot. This would be, of course, back in my Jim Marie days. Um, we had, in our setup, there were lots of slides. And I would coach the parents, like, okay, we want to teach our little ones to go down on the slides feet first. And especially when we had those dads in there, you know, <laughs> sorry to pick on the dads, but they would always be a lot more adventurous. And right away, they'd have their little one going down head first and thinking, oh, there's a nice soft mat at the bottom. I'm like, yes, but slides are actually, as Jeremy said, like one of the top playground accidents because when they're here at Jimbury, they're having fun, they're going down the slide, they're wee all down head first. They go to the playground and they don't have that understanding of there's gravel at the bottom now and the, the mattress difference. is gone. The mattress is gone, but they don't know <laughs> that. It's just they have always gone down. So we always instructed the parents, you know, keep that same positive language, lots of repetition, and place your child into that position and consistently do it over and over, over and, and over, over and right? Over. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then two, I mentioned, you know, especially like when we have stairs, because our little ones are so top heavy, it's a safety thing too. So if they're, you know, leaning forward, they can tumble down stairs. So making sure they're going feet first on their tummies. So a great way to do with tummy sliding and stuff to really mm. practice for safety with stairs. So to, you know, and once you kind of put a little more safety, you know, oh, I have stairs in my house and things like that, it kind of gave parents another reason to, oh yeah, let's practice that way. But definitely yeah. an important one. The practicing is so important. And for us to help our little ones become aware of their space. Mm-hmm. So it's like you were saying about the slide or the stairs, A lot of times with toddlers, we try to kind of distract them away from it. We don't point it out. We don't point out what the safety concern is. And so they don't learn to recognize it. So when we're padding everything, when we're baby proofing or child proofing every single possible danger in the house, our children learn to not become aware of the safety concerns. So um, why timeouts and ignoring behavior doesn't work? With timeouts and ignoring behavior... It's usually our kind of like gut reaction to their behaviors. We're not really sure how to do, how to guide them. We're not really sure how to handle it. So I'm going to resort to this kind of like power struggle with them. Um, However, it's important to remember that young children's behaviors are their way of communicating with us. They're misbehaving or they're doing something inappropriate because they're communicating that they need help. They don't have the skills to manage. They don't have the tools to, to figure it out. And their behaviors is their way of telling us that they need support. And so when we're using timeout or 
ignoring the behavior, we're essentially telling them we're not here to help you. You can figure it out yourself or, you know, I'm not there to support you unless you can behave properly. I don't Mm -hmm. want to be around you unless you can behave. Okay. My toddler is obsessed with golf. We have a little (laughs) golf (laughs) putting green at the back and he would go, even if it's snowing, even if it's raining, he would go all the time. And then when we go outside, it's time to come back inside and it's the disaster every single time we come back inside. So I say to him, mommy's understand, mommy understands that you want to be outside, but now it's time to eat. So we're going to come back inside. But I repeat it over and over, but he's still doing the tantrum on the floor. Mm-hmm. And do I have to keep repeating or I can tell him and let him have his little time? Or what do I do? Yeah. First step I would say is to set the expectation, give him a heads up that golf time is going to be over. So a lot of times we're not preparing our children enough for the Mm -hmm. transition. So they may be really intrigued in this game of golf and we're ripping them away because, you know, it's time for lunch and we haven't given them that time to process and say their goodbyes, so to speak, you know. So giving them a heads up of, hey, two more minutes to play golf and then we're going to go inside for lunch. So that heads up is important. And then during the transition, it's hard for them. And so acknowledging their behaviors is that first step. Yeah, I know you're really sad about not being able to play golf anymore and we have to go inside. You know, we can come back tomorrow or we can come back after nap time. Giving them some sort of idea of when they can do it again. So it's not a, this is done forever, you're never going to see it again. A couple other thoughts around timeouts too and why they don't work is that one, it instills fear in our little one. They're fearful that... You're going to put them in the corner. They're fearful that you're going to leave them to deal with their own emotional upset. And so they're, they'll often respond. So timeouts will look like they work because your child will sit in the corner, but it's not working for the right reasons. The reason why they're sitting in the corner is because they're fearing that you're going to punish them or you're going to withdraw your love. Mm-hmm. And it's all about love, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Another thought too is around the intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So when we're sending our child in time out, they are complying. It's not because they really want to do it. So wouldn't we much rather our child internalize the reason why they're behaving inappropriately? So let's say they hit their friend. Would we not rather them feel the reason behind that of when I hit my friend, they get sad versus when I hit my friend, you send me to the corner and I have to sit by myself. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And empathy towards the other child. Yeah. Yeah. And it's them wanting to do it versus them Mm -hmm. always listening to what other people want and just doing what other people want. And why distracting young children from inappropriate behavior or a big emotion only works for a short term? Mm Hmm. Toddlers are very distractible. They've got very short attention spans, so it's really easy to get them to focus on something else. However, again, behaviors are their call for help. It's them saying, I don't know how to do this. I need help. And so when we're distracting, we're not giving them the tools to get any closer to figuring out how to do it on their own. We're just taking away the problem for them. So the next time they're in the same situation, they're still not going to know how to deal with it. And as they get older, it almost kind of gives them 
a sense that it's okay to run away from problems. Like I don't need to face it. I don't need, need to deal with it. I just need to distract myself with something else and turn my attention to something else and not focus on the big feelings and big emotions that are stirring up inside that are uncomfortable. So why are they not listening in the first place? Let's, you know, there's the question here. <laughs> why are they not listening? So many different reasons. I mean, they could be hot, like they could be overstimulated. They could be tired. They could be sick. Um, a lot of times though, it comes to them not listening to you because you're not listening to them. There isn't a connection happening. There's a disconnect where parents may be playing kind of the, I'm the parent, you listen to me kind of card where for little ones, they don't feel like they're, they're being acknowledged. They're being listened to. They don't feel like their feelings are being heard. And so they'll often show us this disconnect by not listening to us. And how to get young children to cooperate without distracting them or bribing or threatening? <laughs> mm -hmm. Comes down to connection. If we want our children to participate with us and cooperate with us, we need to build a connection with them first. And do you guys have any examples of where typically you feel there's a disconnect between you and your little one? Well, I find sometimes, you know, when you're busy and you want to get things done and well, Alex will come and he will actually put himself between me and the counter and he will push me away from the counter. This is me trying to get things done. And obviously it's not working really well. Right. So what I do other times when I have more time, I would basically just sit down on the floor and wherever he comes around the counter and reach me. Um, then I sit down, give him a hug, and sometimes I start running around to hand game, <laughs> okay, right? Yeah. And he think it's so funny, and then we do this for a while, and then you end up going to something else, and then I come back, and I'll finish, or continue a little bit what I was doing, and it does get accomplished, but a little bit slower. If I push it through, it's it's really hard for him, and, and then I can feel like I'm trying to do something, and this is not what he wants me to do, and then... It just, it just, the, the tension is there now and it becomes like he starts crying and he's upset. And of course, there's no connection at that moment, right? We actually disconnected. That's exactly it. It's because you have one agenda and he has another and you guys are not in alignment and they feel that energy of you wanting something and you're pushing and you're imposing something on them and they're not ready for it. And so that's often why there is that big pushback. However, if we can come down to their level, acknowledge what it is that they want. And like you said, you took that time away from the counter to play with him and run around the room and then re-engage again and then follow through. They cooperate so much better because now they feel acknowledged and they feel a part of the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For you, Heather, have you noticed any disconnection sometime? As much as I try to stay off my phone, sometimes I have to almost like kind of for work with the podcast, which is kind of work right now. Oh yeah, I have to do different things or respond to an email or just get things done. And it doesn't mean I'm going to be there for hours, but he has a huge reaction to it. <laughs> and that's kind of where right now I'm like, okay, mommy just has to finish typing this. And right away he's like, he gets quite physical with it. He doesn't want me on the phone. And so we kind of have our thing. And I try to say, like, I know you want mommy to play. Mommy will be there in, a, you know, just one more minute. I have to finish typing this. Mommy's doing her work. And then I'll try to show him a picture or whatever. But see, mommy's almost done. And, I, you know, but we definitely have 
that bit of a tug of war in those circumstances. And being and, a toddler. And being a toddler, he doesn't have no idea what he I'm doing. He doesn't care about you, you Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> so, and the minute, you know, when, you know, dad gets home in the evening too, if he happens as own, he gets like, he does not like our phones. He is, he is being the, <laughs> the, you know, the strict one in our house with those phones away. <laughs> But I mean, this day and age, I mean, I I don't have a computer that I'm using. I'm just quickly using my phone. So yeah, so it's kind of like I, I have to be an adult and in that moment. But at the same time, he's like fighting me and we kind of, I don't know. I don't know. I try to acknowledge and I mm-hmm. that's the, kind of all I can do in that moment really, right? Is just acknowledge. I know you're sad. I know you want mommy to play and mommy will be done in just a minute. But yeah. yeah. So common. <laughs> yeah. It's also like the diaper changes. Those are usually times, daily routine stuff are usually the times where they fight you the most. And if we think about it, those are also the times when we're rushing through things the most. We just need to get this diaper change done so we can get dinner on the table, or we just need to quickly shove the jacket on them so we can get out the door and make our appointment. And our little ones, again, are so intuitive with that. When they're rushed, when we're not on their pace, when we're not including them, they tell us through their behavior, like, hey you're not including me. I don't feel like a part of the process. You're doing stuff to me and you're not doing stuff with me. So that's probably the same thing with the phone here, right? Well, yeah. And also just even saying that, like, I see that difference between even two parents where I say at bedtime, am very calm about it. I'm, I know it's going to take whatever time it's going to take. And we go through our routine and I try to involve him as much as he can. Like if like I'm getting him to help me get his arm in or out or that sort of thing, or if he's holding something, okay, switch hands. And, you know, we kind of talk a lot through it where my husband as I, you know, he's been so helpful, but he's just trying to get it done. (laughs) And I see Hudson just fight him. And I'm just, you know, but that's just, you know, his nature is just like productivity, just got to get this done. And I'm like, babe, just got to relax into it. It's, it will be faster if you take more time, as weird as that sounds. Yeah. Because when he, he's in this big rush, then his energy is different. And then Hudson fights it and then goes to bed in a way more difficult manner. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's gotten a lot better with that. So he's they are finding their routine and connecting and so but it's taken a while, but that's yeah, big thing, yeah. that connection. I have a really good analogy for that of imagine you're at work with your boss and your boss tells you there's this project you have to work on. He gives it to you and he tells you and this is what we need to do versus your boss coming up to you, telling you there's a project and asking you for your input on it. What do you think? What do you think we should do? How's your time frame looking? Do you have other projects going on? What's the difference? Like, which one would we prefer? Well, always the second one. Yeah. You know, yeah. human being. <laughs> exactly. We yeah. want that connection. And that's yeah. what it comes down to again. Someone acknowledging that we're a human person and we have needs and we have desires and we have wants and them being interested in that. And so that's the same with our toddlers as well. That's a good example, right? Mm-hmm. And um, what are some of the ways to foster emotional intelligence in our young children? Mm-hmm. Emotional intelligence is such an important skill for our little ones to have, to figure out their emotions, to understand it, to be able to communicate it. That's all a part of them learning how to build relationships, which is a lifelong skill that's going to last them their entire life. 
And so different things we can start doing at this stage, knowing that they don't have a lot of language development, their brains aren't quite developed in the sense that they don't have the ability to have a lot of abstract thought where they're taking other people's perspectives. What we can do is start to label their emotions how they're feeling when things happen. Oh, you're sad about that. Oh, you're really excited about this. Talking about feelings throughout the day of how they're experiencing their world so they can start making those connections. Here's another thought around separation anxiety. So we know our toddlers experience that second phase of separation anxiety where they get kind of nervous to be away from you. And this is where it's important not to sneak away from them when you have to say goodbye. The goodbyes are hard sometimes with our little ones. They don't want to leave us. They don't want to be apart from us. And so sometimes we think it might be easier for us to just sneak out the door when they're preoccupied with something. And what that actually does is it makes them more anxious because they don't know when you're coming back and they don't know when you're leaving and they don't know what's happening. And an analogy I like to use is imagine you and your partner were at home and you thought you guys were having a date night. You were in the kitchen preparing all these snacks. You come back into the living room and your partner's nowhere to be found. You look through the entire house and you can't find them, only to find out that they went to the gym without telling you and they left the house. Probably, I don't know, how would you guys feel about that? <laughs> Heather's killing yeah. herself laughing here. This is it just funny. makes so much sense. So you would never do that to an adult. So, But we no. do it to kids. <laughs> all the time. Exactly. Really. Because we think it's easier, but we would be pretty pissed off if our partner did that to us. Makes so much sense. Yeah, we feel like it's okay to do that to our little one, Um, except it's not because they show it to us through their behaviors. Chances are when you come back, they're going to be even more anxious. They're going to cling to you even more for fear that you're going to leave them, for fear that you're going to disappear from them again. Yeah. And just from working with parents and when they would leave for drop-off classes and stuff at Jimbree, we would definitely say, please tell your little one that you're going to be leaving, say goodbye, but be confident about it. Because again, they're reading your energy. And if you're confident about leaving and saying goodbye, they're going to be like, okay, mommy's okay with this. I'm safe. She feels good. She's saying goodbye. Because that, again, reading that energy, if that parent again, now lingers on the opposite side of it, then they're like, ooh, mommy's, you know, feeling a little nervous here. Maybe I should feel more nervous. And then that doesn't help either, right? So it's kind of that opposite side. Yeah. It's also the one foot out the door, one foot in the door kind of thing too, where you're you're wanting to say goodbye. You've said goodbye. You've walked out the door. You see them so upset, you come back to comfort. And what that sends, that message that it sends to our child is, I don't really trust the situation you're in. I don't trust the caregiver I'm leaving you with. So only I can come back and comfort you. Versus if you walked out the door confident after saying goodbye, you know, I love you, honey. You're safe with this caregiver. They're going to have a fun time with you and mommy will be back or daddy will be back. Then it helps them feel so much more confident because they sense your energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we can find you, Sherry, um, on our panel of experts at parenttalk.ca, but uh, where else can we find you? You can find us on www.parentinglittles.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Parenting Littles. Well, all right, Heather, I think it's time for a conversation card. It's time for a conversation card. Every week we like to play a game, not only for fun, but to get to know our guests a little more too. Nobody knows what the mystery card might ask. Sometimes silly and sometimes serious. Let's find out what it will be this week. 
can you please pick one and read it to us? Yes. Okay. So today's question, what would you like to be famous for someday? I were to be famous, I think I'd like to be the Oprah of the parenting world to really inspire parents to raise kiddos that are confident, that are compassionate, and that are loving to one another. Um, I've always, so I mean, working with children my whole life, I've always thought it would be so fun to be like a member of the Wiggles or have my own Treehouse TV show. <laughs> so to be a famous child's performer, I would... I would have so much fun. I think for myself, it's being famous or about more about your contribution mm -hmm. into the, the world, right? I want to leave a trace to be known for something or making a difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, like goodness, compassion, helpfulness, communications through podcasting, mm -hmm. through even my personal uh, life around me, I think this is what uh, I'd like to be known for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, ladies. Well, that concludes today's episode. I want to thank you, Sherry, and thank you, Heather, for being here. And thank you for your contribution in other parents' lives and helping them and us be the best parents we can be. For our listeners, if you have a question you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the Contact Us section on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean. Or you can subscribe directly to this podcast on our website at parenttalk.ca so you don't miss an episode. Please take a minute to review us on Apple Podcasts. We want to know what you think. And also, it's a great way to let us know what other topics you would like to hear about. Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents by sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you for listening and have a great week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.